Fellas, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. Today's episode is with Matt Drinkon. Call him Coach, Coach Matt. He's one of my favorite people in the entire world. I just had a call with him the other day and I left it absolutely on fire. And every time I interact with this guy, I come away just feeling better. The reason is, is not because of necessarily what he does or what he says, but who he is. He is one of the most genuine guys I know. He is someone who is out there setting the model, creating a new blueprint for what men can be in this world. He's someone who crushes it in his business. He has a great coaching business and helping business leaders and salespeople all throughout the country and the world. He's crushing it in business. He is a very, very good amateur golfer, like one of the best in the South. He's a family man. He's got a wonderful family of daughters that he cares about deeply and who care about him. You can see from the way that they interact with him how much he means to them. And the same thing with his wife. And so all that to say, this guy has something that all of us can look to emulate or to embody. He also hosts the podcast, The Eternal Optimist Show, which is produced by yours truly. But more than that, like I said, he's, he's just one of my favorite people. And I'm so excited for those of you guys who don't know Coach to get introduced to him today. Because this is Matt Drinkon. Welcome to the Modern Masculinity Podcast where we delve into the depths of what it means to be a man in today's world, and we explore the real-life challenges and triumphs that you and I face every single day. My name is Hector Santi Esteban, and I come with no answers, only questions for some of the most wise, insightful, and grounded men that I know. So get settled in. You're listening to Modern Masculinity. Coach Matt, welcome to the Modern Masculinity Show. Thank you for being here, sir. Absolute pleasure, privilege to be here, excited for it. Let's get it on. Ding, ding, ding. You're becoming quite a somebody that people are reaching out to me and saying, <laughs> Matt, Matt Drinkon, I just met Matt and he's a great guy. And if I were to go through my phone, there would be a number of those messages that have came in. And so I want to start off there and we can talk about your accolades and all your business success. And we'll get into some of the things that are going well, but I'd love to know what's challenging you right now. Maybe what are you struggling with when it comes to this whole man, guy, dad, husband stuff? Great question. And I'll take it a couple different levels. First, I appreciate that I've become somebody. I've been looking to become somebody at some point. So I'm glad I'm here. So thank you. I would say the thing that's challenging me right now in this exact moment here today is that a dear loved one is in intensive care on life support and likely to not be here for more than literally hours or days at most. So that's a little bit of an emotional challenge that's present in this exact moment, if you ask. Thank you for being here and being with us amidst this time. I think one thing that I really admire about you is your word, is your accountability, is your is the integrity that you hold yourself to, and also your willingness to be vulnerable. And I know that's been a journey that you've been on. When you think about that evolution of being a man and, you know, from single to husband to dad and where you're at now, what did, what was that evolution like? Do you look back at any particular phases of manhood, if you will, 
I'd say first, I wrote down single and husband and dad. Those are three very distinct, for me, life phases that I'd say each have their own check marks. I love to dissect them and dive into them. Before we even get to that, you said the word vulnerability earlier. And vulnerability is a word that I've always associated that growing up, the word vulnerable did not mean masculine. It did not mean the type of upbringing that I had. I grew up in a family, and I love my family. This is not an indictment of family. It's more of the generation that I grew up in. I grew up in a very strong military family background, very regimented, very disciplined, strong, I'd say, German-Irish descent from the types of men that did not share feelings, did not share emotions, that kept it all balled up inside, that were taught that being strong, being uh, masculine was to keep it inside, was to lead always from this seemed position of strength. And strength comes from always looking hard, always being forward-facing, never looking backwards and feeling more looking forwards and just Put that stuff in the closet. We'll let that sit there. And those who have lived that life may have experienced, may be experiencing right now, if they're my age or a little bit younger, a little bit older, they may be experiencing that it comes out somewhere. And it may come out in the form of a temper or it may come out in the form of an abuse of alcohol or drug or something of that nature. So when you say the word vulnerability, I think that immediately elicits for me this idea of, I never had a relationship with that word. And I still and not really comfortable with the word vulnerability. I would say transparency is the word that I lean more to now as a modern masculine man. Transparency and being able to own everything about my past, everything about where I am right now in my life is the sum result of all the decisions I made. I have to own that. And I'll start with that frame. That's when I use say vulnerability, I think transparently. I've got to own everything up until this moment, everything moving forward. So transparently, I'll share with you when I was single, I was focused on business. I was focused on developing my organization. I was focused on developing my sales skill. It was me and got to find my place in the world, got to assert my ego, my independence. This is the way that when I got into the real world after college, this is what I learned. And... Maybe I didn't have the influences after college that would lead me towards that family place because I was so focused on business. Or maybe they taught me to be focused on business. When I was single, I had ego and was focused on business, Hector. And then I came to this realization one day that if I'm going to be this high-earning, successful businessman and have a successful relationship, meaning I actually have a relationship that I can stay in for more than two weeks or two months, someone that will love me and that I can pay attention to, and I'm not working a 90 or 100 hours a week and never any time, I've got to really look at what I've come to idolize. Business success is, it's equated with working as hard as you can for as long as you can. And I remember those days of working Monday through late night Saturday, 6 a.m. on Monday, basically wake up on Saturday at 9 p.m., and I have an evening on Saturday to do something. And then I've still got to get up and go to work on Sunday around two in the afternoon. So I'm used to that, used to that. So when we say single husband, dad, that's single, Matt. I'd love to go back to, to the, that the, it, the models that you had, right? I think we're all doing what we think is right in the moment. And mm-hmm. we were chasing something 
what was it that you were chasing that and has that changed over oh. that time? Yeah, great question. When I was at that age that I'm describing the single years up until middle 30s, what I was chasing is I was chasing the approval or the leveling up that I continuously saw my father. And I feel it was healthy because it led me to a strong self-esteem. It led me to strong accomplishments in athletics and good grades in business. And yet when I left the home, when I left the nest, I went away to college and then I graduated college and left college. I didn't go back to my parents' house and live with them. I went straight to the business world and that was far away from home. So this is before the age, just to give you some context for the listeners, that was before the age of when the internet was something we use all day, every day, or cell phones were something that we didn't have text messaging then, we didn't have video messaging. We still had calling cards to call home. So I didn't call home that often. I didn't go home that often. I didn't see my mom and dad as much. And I'm an only child. I didn't see him or call him that much. I was a lost son for years, for like a good five or six years. I was not great at that. And I own that. And What does that mean? That I own that? (laughs) No, a lost son. I was a lost son and that I didn't make the, the time. My my. Focus was on winning in business. It was on thriving and developing all the people around me in my business that worked for me and with me. It was around making money. It was around, I still had a huge heart. I still cared. And I chose to prioritize, let's go win in business to the detriment or to the lack of priority that I placed on my relationship with my mom and dad. Mm. And I regret that. I regret it because my father passed away when I was 28, and I regret that time that I didn't spend with him. And my mom, this actually brought me closer to mom, and she's with us, and I see her now a few times a year, and we talk more frequently. So we, our relationship is stronger now than it was in my 20s, but I was lost in that time away from those family values, that time with the family, and as a result of that, my navigational tool, my compass got set on business success, and that became the driving sole factor. And I started to equate masculinity and being a strong man at that time with my earning potential and how much I can provide. And I didn't have a serious committed relationship that would stick with me for long because that was always second fiddle to my work career. And that was a painful series of lessons to learn. And I'm sure it was far more painful to the women that were attempting to be in a relationship with me, Hector, if I could be very transparent about it, I'm sure there were people that I hurt because I didn't offer them the most precious resource, which was the attention when I was there, but it wasn't very often. And I always had that cell phone around and that cell phone, I was like, I was cheating on whatever girlfriend I had at that moment with that cell phone. I've not cheated on anyone like in a physical, romantic way. And I sure as hell cheated on him with that cell phone and always put that first. And that's painful to say, but that is who I was when I was learning my ways and learning business. And I had to unlearn some of that in order to be in a relationship now. Yeah. I think we were both experiencing this going through similar roles as a sales manager and recruiter. And I remember when I got together with my, she's now my wife, and we started dating, 
she would, you know, similarly, I always had the cell phone and the cell phone was always ringing and there's always people coming in. And that was the job was to answer the phone. And she was saying, I, you're not ever here. And I'm like, what do you mean? We are sitting at dinner together and we've been, to, we've been quote unquote together for the last hour. And she's like, but you're not here. And it, I, that for so long, I didn't get what she was saying, but I think it's what you're talking about here is that, you know, you're mm. somewhere else, even though you may be physically there. 100% correct on that assumption or that what you shared. And if I could take it a step further and share, this is how it started to show up in my life is that cell phone became the thing that I trained any woman I was in a relationship with to really hate that phone. And what I was actually teaching them is to not like me when I'm in business, to not like my business and actually not like me. So I ended up pushing them away unintentionally of course, by being so engaged in the business. And here is the mantra that I believe to my core. This was it. Everything I'm doing for you and for us. And that, my friends, that is the one thing that if I don't have a regret, I don't want to take it back. I had to learn the lesson as we all do. That's the lesson that 45-year young Matt loved to go back and share with the infant 25-year-old Matt, I say infant because my emotional intelligence, I was good at selling, I was good with people, I wasn't good at being in a relationship because I didn't understand that when I think that I'm doing it all for you, I'm making all this money for you, I thought that was what masculinity was and that's the role of husband, father, provider, make all this money. That's what I saw. I don't blame my dad for it. I appreciate the opportunities that I have and that my family now has moving forward because he worked. He was up in the morning and gone before I got there, before I woke up. And he got home after I did every day that I can remember. And he was at my soccer games and stuff on the weekends. And he came to some of my golf matches and basketball games on the weeknights sometimes. But I always equated work ethic and provider with I'm working hard, I'm working long hours and I'm doing it for the family. And now it doesn't have to be that way, especially in this generation now where we can do things virtually. We can choose to develop our skills rather than sacrifice more time and saying it's for the family. Because deep down, I say it's for the family up until the middle 30s. Then I realized that for the family, the best thing I can do for the family as I go into phase two, husband phase, the best thing I can do for my family is to give my wife the love and support she needs. And that love and support comes before go spend all my time in business. So mm-hmm. that's on to phase two when I'm developing to this next level of manhood, which I'd love to pause here and see if there's anything that, that you want to reflect on there. But we're moving to phase two, the next level, that's the marriage part. I'd love for you to to sprinkle some context in the sense of this evolution, right? It's changing. And you spoke to it a little bit, but what you're chasing is evolving. And also, perhaps you can speak to your willingness to go into the home, if you will. I love that you're a present dad. And I think that you're, if I'm not mistaken, you're cooking breakfast and you're doing things that, you know, quote unquote, in in generations past might have been not traditionally done by the dad. And now all of a sudden there are men who are moving into these different roles where I had a friend recently tell me who he doesn't have kids. And so we'll context it with that. But because my wife is traveling more for work that I'm at home playing Mr. Mom 
And there was this almost this negative connotation or he was, it was a jab, right? He was jabbing with it. But I think that's a hindrance to men moving into this next stage because it's so much different. We can't look to our dads, our grandparents. We can't look to previous generations for the model, successful, ideal, whatever. They're not the same. Completely agree with that statement. And so I, I would view it like this, that what am I chasing? I am chasing the development of the best things that my parents gifted me with, because they gifted me with some tremendous strength. My dad's great strength, super focused, super disciplined, strong self-esteem. He had those things. He gifted those things to me. Mom walks into any room, could talk to any stranger. The social butterfly could talk to anyone. The biggest, most empathetic heart. And passionate for what she believed in, would fight for what she believed in. And these are the best things they offered me. And they stayed married. They never beat each other. They never yelled at each other, anything mean. I never was exposed to any alcohol, drug abuse. So I lucked out. I had these amazing parents who gifted me these great things. Now, I choose to focus on those things, Hector, because they also get to me with some things that could be some baggage or some saddlebags that are straped over my back. If I chose to focus on the challenging parts of it, then I could become that part of them. I do choose to focus on the best of what they offer me, and that is mostly who I am right now. I still got baggage, though, and the baggage that I have, here's the kind of the, the twist. The baggage that I have, it is my obligation as a modern man, as a father, as a husband. It is my moral imperative and my obligation to remove those things from my family lineage and to replace them with what I consider to be our pillars of our family, which are gratitude and curiosity and patience and grace for ourselves. If I could jump in just yeah. really, because I, I think you've, you've stumbled on something that I think is way more, is, I don't want to say way more important, but that I'd like to pull on. And that's that some people have called it, for lack of a terrible term, generational trauma. And that's, maybe it's a, maybe it's a strong term, maybe it's not. But some people think that it's fake. Some people think that it's just woo-woo or they whatever. But what you're actually talking about is undoing some of these habits, undoing some of these, I don't know what you want to call them, these mindsets that perpetuated these things. The question that I was getting to that I think you stumbled on is that so many more men now are unpacking their trauma. They're unpacking their baggage, if you will. They're not bringing all of that into their relationships and drowning it in alcohol. Or, Of course, there's people still are. But now more men are waking up to the fact that they don't have to go down that route. There's yeah. a way to, to let go of that. There sure is. And maybe even the word trauma or baggage. If I say those two words and any of your listeners hear those two and think to themselves, wait a second, I don't have any trauma. I don't have any baggage. You don't have to call it that. It could be something else. It could be, I have a temper. You may not call that trauma or baggage. That could be, you call it the edge. You know, you might call that a strength. You know, I wouldn't call it trauma. Oh, specifically, I would call it, it's something that I saw from my grandfather, his grandfather, my great grandfather ahead of him, from my dad. You call it generational trauma. Maybe that's a word some people identify with. Maybe not. There's research on this. There are books written on this that prove this is an actual thing, right? So anyone that says that's not, there is research that can be done. And I'm not going to go into all of that. Now, I've done that research. You can tell you that I feel that there are things that carry over from generation to generation, some of it genetic and some of it's learned. And those learned things are the strengths. I want those. I want to develop those learned things that are what I would call the weaknesses or the things that derail me 
from being what I call the best dad I can be, the best husband I can be. I want to eradicate those things or at least minimize those. And one of those is a, is a temper because I used to be a yeller. And I have a little bit of intensity about me right now because I'm incredibly passionate. It does not come out in yelling or hitting or violence or anything of that nature. That is not what I would call the modern man. That is not what I would call the great husband, father, leader who is there to simply put everyone in their place, tell them what to do, yell at them, use my size, strength, authority, power, voice, whatever, to dominate my will. That may have been something in the past. Now, I am more prone to ask the questions. I'm more prone to invite discussion. I'm more prone to challenge them to, why did you think that way? Why did you do it that way? And that is the transition into being a husband. When I went from ego, me, to husband, now it's we, and that takes some time. That takes a lot of time to get used to going to we, man. I tell you, there were times when my wife and I, we love each other dearly. And at the same time, I am fiercely independent. She's pretty fiercely independent. And we butt heads over the simplest things. The simplest thing I can share, maybe this might trigger some people out there, directions and driving. One comment about my driving would sometimes send me into this little spiral of craziness. <laughs> and I would share with you that right now, we, we know that is something that can trigger us from time to time. So if we worked on that, Hector, by always typing something in the GPS. If we're traveling 17 minutes in that direction, we type into the GPS where we're going and we have agreed to follow whatever the GPS says, because that keeps us out of trouble. All right. Anyways, you took me down the rabbit hole. I don't know where I went there, but that was a worthwhile rabbit hole. (laughs) You are someone who always, you have some thoughts though. And so I want to let you keep going. Is there some things down that you had written down that you thought were also relevant to to this discussion? Absolutely. So when I think about being the best dad, I can be the best husband. I can be the best anything. And this word being the best I can be, that really resonates with me. It might not be for every listener being the best. It can be being the most compassionate, the most listening, the most caring, the most sensitive, whatever you want to be more of, or you want to eliminate my temper, my language that I use, my self-deprecating humor, or I always cut myself down. You can remove stuff or you can add stuff. Either way, I want to find, and it's my mission to find these skills that I can develop that empower me to raise kids that believe themselves. These skills I can develop that empower me to invest quality time with Julie. Because these are things that don't come natural to me. It doesn't come natural to me when her love language is quality time. And for those who haven't heard that term before, love language, that's from Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. Check it out online. It's free. You can take a test. Super cool. Not always easy to follow through on. Uh, My wife's love language is quality time. That's like the fifth place, last place for me. Quality time for me is sitting in the same room and I'm on my computer and she's over there doing something. That's quality time. But for her, it's fully focused attention on her. And I still, to this day, write down in my journal every morning, what would it look like if I were to today pay the most quality time and attention to Julie? What might that look like? Some Mm. variation of that question you'll find in my journal most days, because that's what's most important for her. The difference between now, husband, and back in the single me days is that now, rather than putting time, attention, and focus, all of it into being a better salesman, 
being a better developer of people, better leader, better at money. Now I focus it on being more intentional with my wife, being more intentional with my kids, because that's what's required for them to live the best lives they want and to get what they want out of life is for me to pay attention. Is there any of a res- any resentment? I know I, that's something that I mm. have had to work through. Oh, yeah. In full transparency is the resentment that comes along with whatever, staying at home with the kids or having to do this or cleaning their, just all the things that, and, and perhaps I, it's just because I look at my dad and once again, I, they were great parents, but they had, it was a different time. They have a different relationship. And my mom is working and busting her tail to clean and sweep and straighten up. And my dad, he cracked open a beer and he's sitting on the couch watching the game with yeah. Resentment. So I have two answers to this. I'm going to talk out of both sides and the second one's going to be much stronger than the first. So yes, there's resentment because I have to change my way of living to now pay attention to someone else, pay attention to my wife, pay attention to my kids. Of course I resent them. I'm not getting to play golf today and that's making me resent them. That's making me resent. That's the old way of thinking. That was me, ego, popping up. Okay, here's a dose of reality. I would use a David Goggins term from his book, Can't Hurt Me. Take an SIU pill, Matt, a suck it up pill, because here's what I signed up for. When I signed up for marriage, and when I signed up especially to be a parent, and by the way, I did sign up for that intentionally. And anyone that has a child, you signed up for it. You can't say you didn't, because you did the deed that makes kids. You cannot say you didn't sign up for it. You chose that. You chose to get married. And because you made those choices, what comes next? Hey, what comes next is the responsibility of paying time and attention to those family members. And resentment's going to come if you're stuck in the past with, I used to play golf on Saturdays. I used to sleep in and I used to watch football all day on Sundays. And now, rather than do it all day, I got to pay attention to a kid. If you have that, I got to do this attitude towards your family, then that is a you that you have to own thing, my friends. You've got to own that. And I would say, suck it up. Yeah, that's tough love. Suck it up. Maybe that's the old school way of thinking about it. A different way of thinking about it might be own what it means to be truly a family man as a husband and as a father. Because what it means is not necessarily what we may have been trained to believe. It means that I get to go to work all week and come home and drink a beer on the couch. That's what you may see in some of the movies or think maybe you saw that from a parent. I saw some of that from a parent. And... That's not the way that I'm going to choose to be the best dad or be the best husband is to say to my wife, you go do everything. If I have a day off, I'm just going to sit on the couch and watch TV. Occasionally, I will gift her that and say, Julie, I'll take all the children. You take an afternoon, take a day for yourself, and she'll do the same for me. And that's called the give and take of love and marriage. But when it comes to do I have resentment? Yes, I used to when I still had ego around me. Now it's, we're a team. We do it for the kids, for the kids. Doesn't mean I work all day, make money and then come home and don't do anything for the kids means I'm in it. It doesn't mean my problems are easier. It means I've got to keep getting better and keep getting better is how the modern man will be defined. It's not, I'm stuck in the way I used to do it with my ego. No, a modern man is someone who keeps getting better for their family, not in spite of them. Not because they're forced to, 
because they chose to have a family. They chose to be married. They chose this life. And with that life comes the responsibility. I've got to get better. I've got to do more for them. That's my choice. We're recording this on the heels of what has been, it's, it was COVID-19, but it's 2023 and I'm still filling out stuff for my son that's asking me about COVID-19. But in any case, it's been a, a long ordeal and I've seen it break some men in the sense that their relationships went to hell, right? You know, divorces or relationships, their health went to hell, their business didn't make it. I mean, you could pick any of the categories. And I think that these last few years have really been a gauntlet for people. But but I don't know that it's necessarily going to get easier per se. I think that we as a collective, we have to rise up and get better, right? You know, it's mm. it's going, it's it's requiring more of us. And the ones who are able to rise to that, I think will not only be able to make it through, but also be able to thrive. Do you look at this idea of these challenges making you better, right? Or is that, I feel like that is something that, that is new in, in the ethos of man, that hard things, there are certain generations that had harder things than others. And they always said that hard, hard times make good men and easy times make hard men, that whole thing. Do you think about that? Does that play a role in terms of looking at the external challenges that are going on and thinking about, can you, do I buckle or do I buckle up? I think it's great questions. Uh, again, two answers to this. First answer, I'll share a story. A friend of mine interviewed Michael Hyatt, the famous business coach recently, and shared that story with me. And Michael, he had a heart attack. And he went to a group, like a support group and for that story. When he was asked or when people were sharing, answered the question, what did that heart attack mean to you? One of the people shared that it's the beginning of the end. My life's nearly over. I've got to make plans for my family now. And what he took from it told his doctor, his doctor said, man, life is just beginning for you. You got a second chance. Do everything you're doing. Go live life to the fullest. Go and do it and be the best you can. Do the best you can. And the difference in there is the narrative inside our head. And the narrative in our head could be one that's from a deficit, that this is the hardest thing. I can't do this. This is so incredibly challenging. What am I ever going to do? It could be one that spirals down and what we might call deficit thinking. And the other narrative might be more empowering that, man, this is going to be a challenge. And this may be the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm not taking life for granted anymore. I'm going to pay more attention to the people around me. I'm going to pay more attention to my health. And the moral of the story that I took away from it might be, what's your narrative inside? Because if you're the victim of it, and it's the hardest thing ever, and I can't possibly make it through it, then yeah, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be very difficult to dig out of a hole that keeps getting deeper. And you're the cause of it getting deeper right? Or the narrative could be, this is the narrative that I choose. And by the way, Hector, I don't have any judgment towards someone who chooses another narrative. I want to have empathy towards that. I can only share my story. So this isn't meant to make anyone feel bad. This is meant to challenge someone to look at the way they think, not to judge them. I don't have any judgment towards them. I love everyone. It's more challenge yourself with your thinking. And this is what I might encourage your listeners to consider. When COVID happened, when March 19th, 2020 came around, and I use that specific date because that specific date, that afternoon, 
is when things started to change where I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. A week later, we had a stay-at-home order put in place where everyone had to stay at home. And as a result of that, our full-time nanny couldn't come in here. My wife couldn't go to work anymore. So now I'm running a full-time business online somehow, and all my kids are home, and my wife's at home, and we're both trying to work. We got to watch the kids. So we have to, it's all kinds of challenges that I'm sure everyone went through. We went through those too. And what we chose to think, how might we use this time to forge a stronger relationship with each other and our kids? And we know that when we're around each other all the time, we know that is going to cause some heated discussions from time to time because we get on each other's nerves because we're all strong personalities. We know that. So we knew that we were up for a challenge. We knew it was going to be difficult. It's going to be the most testing time of our lives. And we decided intentionally, this is how we're going to communicate with each other. We know we're going to butt heads. We know it's going to be challenging. We know that there's sometimes that I'm going to ask her to do more parenting. and She's going to ask me to do more parenting. And we decided that we're going to use this time to our advantage, the best of our ability. And that would be my message to the listeners. It's something that it's a great challenge to do this. And it's one that they're all up for when they choose to embark on that progress over time, just a little bit at a time. Any one of your listeners can do that. We've done it. We're walking proof of it. I was someone that had a huge temper, used to yell. And now we don't do that at all. We we live in a yell-free home now. And COVID, thank God we all survived. My mother-in-law went to, literally went to the, ER was on a ventilator for a couple of days. We thought, man, we thought that my mother-in-law was going to be gone. And we were praying and we were, that, that was a tough week back in 2021. But I can tell you this, that she made it back somehow. My mom got COVID and made it back somehow. I had three clients pass away during COVID. That was very challenging. But we found a way to take all these hardships, all this tough stuff and use it to inspire ourselves to be better, use it to teach the world. Here are the lessons that we're learning very transparently. It's hard as hell, and we're going to use this to get better at it. So I'd share that would be my first couple answers to that question. Looking forward, do you foresee any challenges as things are changing? And I don't know, there's so much influx, right? And especially having younger kids. And coming from a, I'm a few years behind you, but the the schools and the world that our kids are growing up into is just a vastly different world than I was in and, and the same for you. And looking forward, do you think about any of those challenges or any of those changes and try and either for yourself or have conversations with your kid? How do you navigate all of this change that's happening? I'll tell you, this is maybe the most important question. And the reason why we're here to talk today might be this answer and that question right here. It might be that people like you and I and anyone listening to this, we are that glimmer of hope for the future. Because right now there is this big bubble of negativity out there and it's being perpetuated by the news, by the constant social media. It is it is moving so rapidly through technology and we don't know how to we don't know how to deal with it and you're seeing increased suicide rates and more negativity out there the news is not getting any more positive things are not getting more bright if you look at the news or social media and at the same time there are so many stories out there that point towards we've never been in a better place in the history of the world mm-hmm. yet people would feel that we're the most divided and this is the most painful, most challenging. And it's people like us who are having these real conversations around how to play offense for humanity, how to be the best dad or husband, how to listen 
more deeply, how to care a little bit more, how to be a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more transparent. These are all tools that will help society, will help humanity survive. So you ask me what's coming or how do we deal with it? We are the solution to that. You and me, Hector, and anyone listening, we have got to stand up and do the things that leaders do. And that's look to where we want to go and focus on that rather than get sucked into the vortex of anonymous complaints online, get sucked into the vortex of all the negativity we see out there. Now, it's my mission on my podcast, the Eternal Optimist podcast, to spread hope and a you-can-do-it-to attitude to the world. One positive success story at a time, one overcome tragedy, adversity story at a time. So I feel also, in addition to, this may be like a heavy burden, and as leaders, you and I and your listeners, man, this is some heavy stuff. It might be us that saves the world simply by multiplying what we are doing right now and sharing the story of positivity, of growth, of learn to take these challenges, this hard stuff, and turn it into our advantage, turn it into something that the world can learn from and use so we can be a more united, loving, empathetic, caring world. Now, that's what's upcoming. And it's up to you and me, brother, and the people listening today. I hate to burden them with that and at the same time challenge them with that because this is where we're headed. We're headed towards us positive folks being the light. We've got to shine brighter than the darkness overcomes. Yeah. How exciting that we get to to be here now. It's really interesting that on the, in the online marketing space, and they do, it's all over in the fitness and whatever, they have these challenges, these five-day challenges. People go through them and they're really excited to sign up. When that word challenge they're getting it from the world and they're getting it from the universe or from whoever their creator is, right? Or whoever they look to. And, but they're turning away from it, right? They're not seeing the same kind of value in those challenges that they might get out of a five day detox challenge or five day, whatever. And so mm -hmm. it's just, it's an interesting dynamic that we live in. I want to hear about, I want you to touch on what you're doing and I would love to, to know where people can get connected. Before we do that, the last question is, what does modern masculinity mean to you? It means owning up to my responsibility that everything and everywhere and every part of me right now in this moment on this day has come from me making choices. It's come from everything that I have chosen to invest in, to read, to listen to, to take action on where I am right now is the result not of anything external. It's only me. I've got to own that. Modern masculinity is being able to own and accept who we are, learn to be comfortable with our own skin, learn to love ourselves, and then taking this person, this imperfect, flawed, challenged, optimistic, excited, baggage-ridden, whoever we might be, own wherever we are right now and moving forward, let's simply take it one day at a time and make progress towards that brighter future. Let's learn how to be that best version that we want to be for the people that we love. That's what a modern masculine man might mean to me. So yeah, that's it. Yeah. I think it's okay to, to love. It's a weird, it was a <laughs> weird relationship that men had with love before. I don't know when the mark was. I don't know. Maybe the 60s. I don't know. But afterwards, it seemed like maybe guys could love to. You talked about the podcast, 
podcast, The Eternal Optimist, and it is one of my favorite podcasts. We've produced dozens of podcasts, and it's one of my favorite ones, A, because of the stories, but B, also because of how you, Matt, are able to interject some real levity to some really heavy situations. And not only that, you can come away from listening to a show and you can feel real, real heavy after hearing some of these challenges. But after every episode, I always come away feeling much lighter and much, I don't know how to say it, much lighter. I wanted to affirm you for that and say that you're bringing some real light into the world, as you had mentioned. But tell us a little bit about the show. And then if there's anywhere else, people can go and get connected with you. Awesome. The Eternal Optimist podcast. You can find it in any of the major podcast platforms. It's one of my favorite things to do. I get to learn from people all the time. I had a family on recently where a 15-year-old who's invested in like 50 properties came on. His name is Devin Woolwind. Oh, the next episode's coming up is Nate Palmer. You know, someone that is, I met him in the front row dads. He's like a fitness genius and he's helping people get healthy and live longer lives and push themselves. All kinds of great stories like that. I have an opportunity to meet people and learn from them. It's also great networking and connecting with people. So the Eternal Optimist podcast, check that out in all the podcast places. And there's also a YouTube channel, the Eternal Optimist. You can check that out. In addition to that, I do a live stream every day, Monday through Saturday, most Saturdays, but Monday through Friday for sure every day at 7 a.m. Eastern time for about 15 to 25 minutes and talk about the day and the life of Eternal Optimist. You can find this live stream at Facebook or Instagram uh, at the uh, accounts Eternal Optimist podcast. So love to see anyone there. I love to do comments with the audience. Sometimes my kids interrupt and they jump in there live and I don't yell at them. We actually have fun together. Like this morning, I'll throw this in there. If you need to bleep this, that's okay. It's a little bit crass. We did this coloring together. Those of you watching on YouTube can see, I have a coloring book called The Farting Animals Coloring Book. Literally, it's a little bit inappropriate. And I color it with my daughter and we laugh. I think laughter is actually one of the great keys to stress and keeping things real and being younger. We like to laugh a lot. But those are some places to find me online. I love to engage. I'll answer anything and be very transparent about everything. So please feel free to connect there. You can also go to my website, the Eternal Optimist Podcast, eternaloptimistpodcast.com and check it out. And I read like hundreds of books and I review them on my website. I'm still getting that up and running. There are probably 30 or 40 of them reviewed right now. And I'm reviewing all of them as I go along. Check that out. Check out the podcast there. And I'd love to connect with anyone. Feel free to message me and I'll get back to you within a week. So that's it, Hector. Thank you for doing this, Matt. We appreciate it. And we appreciate you guys showing up here and spending time investing in yourself. So we'll see you guys on the next one. Later, y'all.